Welcome to The Irony of Beauty, a fortnightly podcast hosted by skincare experts Fiona and Rose. They love a good chat and sometimes a heated debate about all things skin and nutrition, calling out scaremongering, misinformation and misleading marketing in an ever-confusing world of beauty and wellness. Please note, the information provided is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace qualified medical advice. Oh, Rose, we've got a lot to talk about today. Um, I wish we were just recording what we were talking about because we were talking about pigmentation. And I think it's actually one of the really most complained about skin conditions. One, because it's debilitating for people. And two, I think it can also really make the skin look a lot older when we've got pigmentation in the skin. And it's one of the things that people get really desperate about because it's quite a hard condition to treat, don't you think? It is. Um, it's a very complex condition. Um, there's lots of different causes as to why clients would have pigmentation in their skin, with different types of pigmentation, and it needs to be treated differently. But it is the one condition I see the most of mm. in the clinic. Um, and I, it is the one condition that bothers clients the most. You know, they could have a skin that's you know, aging with lots of wrinkles and um, laxity, but it's the pigmentation that they notice the most. And that is what ages them very quickly. They can't cover it with makeup. It shows through. Um, and yeah, it does. It makes them look a lot older than what they are. Absolutely. And I think, you know, growing up in the UK and then moving to Australia, it was one of the first things I noticed here about people's skin. You know, they look 10 years older because of the pigmentation. Um, and unfortunately in Australia, because of the sun, we do tend to have way more pigmentation, which ultimately makes us look older. Um, so let's get into it then. I mean, there's different types of pigment and that means there's different ways to treat the pigment as well. So let's look at probably the most common, which is the pigment that comes up with sun damage and ageing. I'm a big believer that we, when we're looking at treating pigmentation, we really need to look at topical products. We need to look at professional skin treatments but we need to look at lifestyle and diet and I think when we don't look at that we'll never really get optimum results for the patient because I don't think people realize how important lifestyle factors and diet are when it comes to pigmentation on the skin and that's something I'm really really passionate about when it comes to sun damage and aging obviously we need to use an SPF that's key but it still shocks me how many people don't use an SPF and I've I've even heard people say they don't use an SPF because they think it's toxic um, I've heard people say they use things like natural coconut oil <laughs> um, you know and there's some really quite scary things that are happening out there and people sort of promoting this clean beauty which then starts getting me on a rant about the clean beauty people I think it's really important first of all key thing if you have pigmentation you need to protect your skin from ultraviolet rays. Well, everyone needs to protect their skin because if you don't, you're going to be prone to age spots and sun damage and ageing. Yes, and, and that is correct. And all the different types of pigmentation, regardless of what you have in your skin, um, you need to wear an SPF. That, that's just a mandatory. It's a non-negotiable when it comes to topical skincare. Um, managing this condition does need to be approached on a holistic level because it is a form of inflammation at the end of the day. Um, you know, it's an overproduction of melanin in the skin for whatever reason. Um, so yes, topical is very important. Sunscreen, non-negotiable, tyrosinase inhibitors. Um, and, you know, there's also 
certain procedures that are my go-tos for treating pigment that I know are they are predictable and safe as well. Um, there's a few things in industry that really grind my gears when it comes to treating pigment. Um, you know, there's some definitely some things not to do to treat pigmentation. Are you going to tell us what they are? <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. <laughs> so, you know, when it comes to hormonal um, derivative form of pigmentation, you know, speaking here of melasma, yeah. um, using lasers to treat melasma, you have to be extremely careful. I've seen so many situations where clients um, have gone to have laser treatment to treat melasma and it's made it worse. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that that's really concerning because understanding the blood supply and the hormonal stimulation that's involved with this particular condition, if you apply heat, apply heat and light on this condition, it's actually going to make it worse. Um, so, you know, understanding certain procedures are better than others to, to treat certain types of pigmentation. And melasma is very common um, and it comes or it's produced from for different reasons in different clients. You know, you've got that medication stimulation, um, you've got pregnancy, uh, the contraceptive pill when I'm talking about medication, also some antidepressant, anti-anxiety medications can cause it as well. Um, you've got that pathway through stress, the adrenals, cortisol, you know, there's a lot of different variables with melasma that can happen. So it needs to be treated on a more holistic level, which like you said, diet, very important, anti-inflammatory diet, whole food diet, um, taking ingestibles to, su to support, um, you know, an anti-inflammatory response in the skin, using those topicals, SPF, absolute non-negotiable, and then having those procedures done that are very safe and very predictable to produce, uh, sorry, to reduce the amount of pigment in the skin. However, having realistic expectations is very important with conditions like melasma because anyone that tells you in industry that they can completely get rid of it is actually lying. Um, it does start to produce with that melanocyte, which leaks that um, overproduction of melanin into the epidermal layer. But because it sits in that dermal epidermal junction, you can get almost like a bit of a leakage that mm. goes into that layer. You really can't get to that with any treatment because um, it, you just can't get there. So regardless of what procedure that you're doing, you can either going to make it worse if it's not the right one, or um, you, you're going to be left always with an underlying shadow that you really, really can't get to. So explaining this to clients is, is a mandatory when I talk to anyone with regard to treating melasma. Yeah, and I think melasma, I mean, for those people that don't really understand what melasma is, it's when you've got that sort of solid bilateral pigmentation on the face and it tends to be the hardest to treat. And that's when I think, you know, it's really important to look at what is actually causing that melasma to start with. Is it hormonal? Did it come up during pregnancy? Is there an underlying you know, medical condition that needs to be addressed because sometimes, you know, even with things like insulin resistance, sometimes we can see bilateral pigmentation on the tops of the cheeks, even certain thyroid conditions as well. You can see pigmentation more around the um, orbital area and across the lids of the eyes. So again, this is when it's always good to see a dermatologist to rule out any underlying conditions. But when it comes to melasma, again, I think go to someone that is very, very experienced, particularly somebody that is experienced with things like lasers. There are some people that do have special lasers that can 
you know, and so they can work with it. And then there's other people that will do, you know, the same laser treatment on melasma as they would on sun damage and pigmentation type um, treatments and that's when you can get more problems. So I think, first of all, you really need to know that that person is experienced and they know what they're doing and we really need to find out what the cause of that melasma is because otherwise we're never really going to fully treat it. I'm a big believer in looking at diet as well because there's no sort of pill that is going to get rid of melasma and I think that's important to understand. But it's that lifestyle factor, looking at stress levels, looking at diet, looking at topicals that will actually help to treat it. If I see melasma from a holistic perspective... I'm always looking at what we can do to support liver health and what we can do to support gut health and what we can do to support the, um, you know, antioxidants in the body and also inflammation. Because when you think about melanin, its actual role, melanin is what gives pigment, but its main function is protection. So whenever there is an increase in oxidation... Whenever there is an increase in inflammation, we can see a stimulation of melanin. Its primary role is really to act as a, an energy sink, if you like. So it's going to absorb UV radiation. It's going to scavenge free radicals, um, even heavy metals. So if you've got a diet that is high in heavy metals, if you're a smoker, for instance, you could be at more risk of pigmentation if even if you're taking certain medication, as you mentioned earlier, that may be putting us at more risk of pigmentation and that's something you would need to speak to your GP about. Um, so if the skin is traumatised or at any risk of kind of trauma or damage, the melanocyte cell will start to produce more pigment or more melanin as a way to protect the DNA of the cell. So whenever I see pigmentation... That tells me we need to make sure there's enough antioxidants in the diet and that that person is having a anti-inflammatory style diet and that's when when we're talking about diet, it's a lifestyle diet. I'm not talking about this food is inflammatory and this food is anti-inflammatory. We've moved beyond that now. It's not about looking at individual foods or people sort of saying, oh, dairy is inflammatory. No, it's, it's the diet that is either inflammatory or um, anti-inflammatory so let's get on that sort of Mediterranean style anti-inflammatory diet we know that a diet that is high in polyphenols actually helps to reduce UV induced sun damage and pigmentation which is amazing and that means a diet that is rich in plant-based foods so you know the reds and the purple fruits and vegetables we also know polyphenols are great for the gut health so that's a really good thing to start with. So making sure we're getting enough foods that are going to help with your body's own antioxidant production, which is going to be way stronger than just relying on a synthetic vitamin pill. So I'm, I'm big at looking at the diet, making sure there's enough fresh fruits and vegetables. Because if you ever look at someone that's a real party goer that doesn't eat properly, they eat, you know, a lot of junk food, they don't have enough fresh fruits and vegetables, they're smokers, they take drugs um that is going to set them up for premature aging and pigmentation as well 
Yeah, and it really does come back down to lifestyle, doesn't it? I mean, at the end of the day, whatever condition you have on your skin, you've got to look at this from a bigger picture. You know, it's there for a reason. So you've always got to look from a more holistic lifestyle approach. And pigmentation is one of them, you know, especially that form of pigment that is related to hormones, you know, that melasma, there's no one cream that's going to fix it. There's no one treatment that's going to fix it. You can never really get rid of it completely. It is an underlying condition that can show up again. So it needs to be managed. And that's really what it comes down to um, in, in the way that I treat it in the clinic. And I've had some real real success with it. It's incredible um, how much it gives clients back their self-confidence because they don't really need to wear makeup anymore. Um, the condition has reduced quite significantly, the uneven tone, the texture, so there are some really good um, strategies behind how to treat pigment. Yeah, definitely. So what would be your go-to treatment in clinic for melasma? Melasma, my go-to is Demarmalam, definitely. Um, I've actually brought it, so I'm going to show you. If you're watching the podcast, you'll get to see it. And when, is... you, when you say Demarmalam, you mean Dermalan? <laughs> as, we, <laughs> as we say in Sydney? <laughs> Everyone says it so differently. Um, I say Demarmalan. <laughs> there is um, another version called Cosmolan. They're both related. They're, you know, they're sisters. Oh, actually, I'm probably thinking of Cosmolan. Now you're saying it. Yeah. Don't. Yeah. Um, Cosmolan is good too. Um, but for someone that has quite a significant amount of melasma or pigmentation in their skin, um, I find Demarmalan, the results are a little bit better. And the new formulation now is even better again. So it's taken that inflammatory response out of the skin when you apply this treatment. Um, it's a lot more skin friendly. As we know, being in industry for so long, too much trauma isn't always a good thing, you know? So it's taking the process on a much more um, skin friendly approach. Basically it involves um, me applying a product in clinic. Um, basically looks like a bit of like peanut butter. It's a mask that I apply on the skin. And then you have a sheet mask that you apply on top, which is which is ionized so basically what that means is just infuses the products deeply into the skin it stays on the skin for four hours the client removes it at home and if i can stress this is not an, an at-home procedure this is an in-clinic procedure only um the client removes it at home and then they're going through a process of you know four weeks you know quite significant peeling cell turnover um a bit of inflammation in the skin but that's reduced now with the new formulation so following quite a strict protocol um, for up to four months, you're using, you know, particular skincare and, and the results are amazing. Um, they're really, really effective at reducing the appearance of it. So I hear real mixed reviews of these treatments. You know, some people absolutely rave about them and then other people go, oh my God, you're going to get the rebound pigment. No, don't touch it. And I think if you've got something like melasma, if something's going to help to improve it, then go for it but obviously you will get rebound pigment the pigment will come back if you don't manage the condition at home that's the way I look at it um, yes. what is actually in the treatment interesting question because mm. they're very secretive about the ingredients mm. um, they're quite secretive I know that there is kojic acid um, there's vitamin a vitamin c um, some ahas um they're never really going, they don't give us the exact percentages of what's in there and they're quite secretive about the formulation. Right, interesting. I've heard that too. So really, I guess by the sounds of it, it sounds like all the things that are proven to help with actual 
pigmentation, so your vitamin A and kojic acid tyrosinase inhibitors um, that are actually going to help to treat it, but presumably some hydroxy acids in there to help lift the pigmented cells as well. That's right. Um, I've got some go-tos in clinic for tyrosinase inhibitors, Um, you know, kojic acid, arbutin, vitamin B, um, vitamin A, vitamin C, you know, they're your typical, you know, Mm -hmm. even azelaic's really good as well. They're really good ingredients to treat um, pigmentation and just reduce that, you know, tyrosinase um, action in the skin. The butyl resorcinol is also a really great one that for some reason gets really underutilised, but it's probably got one of the most you know, strongest evidence behind it for pigmentation. I also like things like licorice as well, licorice extract. There's there's, there's a lot of different things, but ultimately it depends on the, as we always say, the final formulation. Um, some pigment products are going to be stronger than others. Some are just more sort of tyrosinase inhibitors and others sort of pack way more of a, a punch by working on sort of melanin transfer and, and actual skin lightening. Really comes down to your individual skin type and what type of pigmentation you have as well for me I think it's important to also make sure that you do have those topical antioxidants because when we think that any exposure to ultraviolet light is going to trigger melanin production but we also know that exposure to ultraviolet light will diminish antioxidants that are naturally present in the skin which is why a good quality SPF will usually come with additional antioxidants too. And we need to make sure we've got those antioxidants in the skin, which will come from topical. Um, Ultimately, obviously, our diet plays a role in that too. And that is why we know things like your carotenoids, um, polyphenols in the diet, all actually act as, in a way, skin protectors. So protecting us from UV-induced pigmentation. And I don't think people realise how important diet is when it comes to playing a role in skin health. I think the more um, we educate people and the more education there is out there with how much diet is connected to our skin health, people are taking that more on board now. You know, they're more aware. It's just creating an awareness. It doesn't mean that you can't ever have a drink again, you know, or, or a piece of chocolate. But, you know, if fundamentally your consistent diet is following something that is full of all those good things that you always speak about, you're going to age really well. You're going to reduce these inflammatory skin conditions quite significantly significantly, and get a much better result from all of your treatments as well. It's just looking at every aspect in your lifestyle that is um, contributing to things like melasma. Mm. One of the ingredients actually that I'm, I'm really interested in is astaxanthin it's a red algae extract that you can have it topically on the skin but you can orally take it and at six milligrams a day daily dose um, there have been studies to show that it can significantly improve uv induced pigmentation again it's a carotenoid um so it's having that that protective action on the skin as well. Not only it's a powerful anti-inflammatory, it's also a powerful antioxidant. It's an NRF2 activator, which you know I'm all about, which is nutrigenome. It's getting your cells to produce their own antioxidants, um, helping to reduce the inflammatory pathways in the body, etc. So for me, and astaxanthin 
is an incredible ingredient for sun damage and for aging skin and that's one of the reasons actually with the the vitasol we included that in our omegas because when you're looking at pigmentation i always like to make sure that the client is taking enough omegas have enough um particularly omega-3 in the diet for healthy cell membranes because if you think healthy cell membrane of the melanocyte cell is also really important as well to make sure all the cell membranes are flexible and working at their optimum but also we want to make sure we're getting in the right antioxidants and anti-inflammatory ingredients as well but the the astaxanthin for me um, has been a real changer adding that to the omegas as well and getting the results for clients I've loved the results of the Amigas on skin health when I'm treating pigmentation. Um, I noticed such a reduction in the inflammation. Um, and, you know, it's it's once again coming back to realistic expectations. It doesn't mean that you've taken it for three days and you're going to see your pigmentation disappear, right? No. It's about consistent, you know. So the, the longer you take these things, the more consistent you are with, um, you know, incorporating you know things like omegas into your diet and and the polyphenols and everything that you talk about you're going to see those changes and reduction in pigmentation it's slower but you'll see it and it's more sustainable yeah and really you know three six nine months even you know it it is what we do every day consistently that that makes a difference and people really need to understand that because I think we live in this era where everyone's like I took one pill and nothing happened or you know I've gone on a diet and I didn't lose weight by the next day so I'm going to give up um, it is that that daily habit that is going to have the biggest effect and that's really what we have to educate people because we're always looking for that quick fix and unfortunately it really isn't there but when we combine the diet the topical um, and the professional treatments we can get great results do you do laser for sun damage and that type of pigment Rose? Um, I do ha- I used to have a laser mm. for that um, some damage related pigmentation is, is actually quite easy to treat. Mm. It's a hard thing to treat, um, especially with things like lentigones yep. or lentigos. Yeah, they're quite easy to treat. So some damage I, I find is quite useful, you know, by using lasers to treat that. That's not, it's not an issue. Yeah. Mm. And you can get incredible results with that. And I think that you okay. need to know when to go with the lasers, when to go with the you know, the more sort of pigment treatments um, like your Cosmolan and your, what was the one you said? Jamalan. <laughs> yeah, look, there's a place for everything. You're I can't crazy. pronounce that. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be surprised how many people can't pronounce it. Um, yeah, there's there's a place for everything. And there's, you know, certainly good devices for certain um, pigmentary related skin conditions. Uh, post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation is something else that um, I mm. see quite a bit in skin. Um, whether it's a result from acne scarring, um, wound healing, um, you know, adverse reaction to a treatment, like a deep chemical peel that caused pigmentation or lasers that have caused hyperpigmentation in the skin. Uh, that is something that is relatively easy to treat. However, if there's an underlying medical condition or if there is an underlying issue with thyroid or stress or um, medication, preg- not pregnancy, sorry, um, but if if there's an underlying condition with melasma already in the skin and you're having an adverse reaction to treatment, you can get post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation from that as well. And it can increase the melasma in the skin too. Mm. I normally sort of say to people, if you cut or burn yourself, how does your skin heal? And if they say, I you know, get a red mark that then goes brown, usually that's a sign that they're a hyperpigmenter. It's probably the, the easiest way to tell. Um, 
And then you've got to be extra careful with those more invasive treatments because usually the more melanin someone, you know, the darker the skin tone, the more prone they're going to be to hyperpigmentation. So any treatment that causes a lot of inflammation and heat can actually end up causing hyperpigmentation. And I know sort of back in the day when electrolysis was a thing, you had to be very careful with the darker skin tones because of the heat from the electrolysis which was a hair removal you could actually cause hyperpigmentation so you'd have to make sure you prep the skin and you'd have to be actually really good at what you did to make sure that you didn't cause these little brown dots everywhere so I think it's knowing who is prone to hyperpigmentation I think with acne hyperpigmentation post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation sometimes it's not even hyperpigmentation you know With an acne skin, sometimes the wound healing can be impaired and it can be slow. And sometimes when people get this purple mark that lingers for a long time, they think it's hyperpigmentation when in fact it's just poor wound healing. And that's when we go back and we look at the diet. And, you know, when there's purple marks that linger for a long period of time, to me that says poor wound healing. So let's make sure they've got the right ratio of omega-3 to omega-6 because if that's out of whack that can affect the wound healing we need to make sure they've got enough minerals in the diet I always look at zinc so um, are they getting enough zinc in the diet because when we don't have enough minerals um, that can affect the wound healing as well and we get these purple marks that linger so usually as I always say the skin talks to us and it will kind of tell us what's going on we just need to understand what it's trying to say so sometimes even poor wound healing and hyperpigmentation get confused and then people start treating the wrong thing and that can then worsen the results. So I think when we're talking about worsening the results, there are some things that we can do with pigmentation that can actually make it worse. (laughs) Um, And actually, to me, this is all common sense, but it isn't to everyone. And I, I was telling somebody the other day, you know, they were saying they had pigmentation and they were going for their weekly spray tan. I'm like, what? You're spray tanning over your pigment? That's going to make it worse. And they're like, what? Why did nobody ever tell me this? And I'm like, well, it's common sense, isn't it? That if you are putting something on the skin that's going to cause that that browning reaction it's going to actually grab where you've got pigmentation and then make that look worse. So I think a lot of people don't realise that. But if you are having spray tans, try not to have them on your face because that will grab on any pigment that you're trying to treat. And there's a lot of products out at the moment, Rose, that are like tanning drops. They're moisturisers, but they've got DHA in them, the the tanning um, active, which potentially although they tend to be in a lot lot lower amount of the tanning agent they could potentially do the same thing on the face so please be aware of that because a lot of people don't realize that they do all these pigmentation treatments then go and put self-tan or spray tan or tanning drops or lotions on the face which will then worsen the pigment or highlight the pigment I'm so glad you brought that up because that's actually a pet hate of mine. Um, Self tan on the face. I actually is one of my, the things that I hate the most. Um, I've worked so much on, on, on skin conditions like pigmentation, done a lot of work to reduce it. And in particular with um, brides, 
you know, they want their skin to look amazing on their wedding day. And then I always recommend that they never use a self-tan or a fake tan application on their face for their wedding or any time because it just grabs to the pigment. Um, even, you know, with pigmentation, you know, it's not just, um, it doesn't just affect the face, it can affect our bodies as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with those invasive procedures, like you said, you know, part of the wound healing process, in particular, when we're doing things like skin needling on the body, Morpheus on the body, part of the healing process is pigmentation, especially if you have quite a lot of, you know, melanin in your skin, you're a high Fitzpatrick type, part of that healing process is you're going to go a bit darker. So that's just something to also be aware of. Uh, sun damage on the body, um, getting a little bit more personal now, but women are very um, concerned with pigmentation on the intimate area these days. So women that have had um, lots of laser hair removal um, down on the intimate area, on their underarms, you know, over the years, they're seeing an increase in pigmentation developing in those areas. So there are treatments for that now, which is really good. So yeah, it's not just face we're talking about with pigmentation, it's also body and, and obviously some exposure on the body as well. Absolutely. And also when we're seeing pigmentation on things like the underarms, I then tend to look for other signs such as pigmentation on the neck area, pigmentation um, you know, across the back of the neck, skin tags, is there excess weight around the abdomen? Because sometimes that can also be a sign of things like insulin resistance as well. So when we can then get the insulin resistance under control, that usually helps with the pigmentation. So sometimes there's other things going on that we need to be aware of. So if you're just sort of noticing discoloration in certain areas, then there, there could be something else going on. So I'm a big believer in a lot of skin conditions, we always need to look at things like insulin resistance we need to look at blood glucose management because that plays a huge role in the condition of our skin so whenever there's insulin resistance sometimes we can see breakouts sometimes we can actually see an increase in pigmentation as well and a lot of people don't realize that yeah there's a real increase in the in insulin resistance isn't there i'm seeing a lot of that through clients these days um yeah, it's definitely something that's a lot more common. And it just, look, it comes down back down to the consultation, doesn't it? Comes right back down to the consultation, understanding your client's history, understanding their medical history um, and really diagnosing the skin as to what type of pigmentation they have because that will determine what approach you take in, in managing the condition. And explaining the expectations to clients, I think, is also very important as well, what it's going to take to really try and get some sort of resolution, bringing it back to their lifestyle. If they're not going to be sunscreen compliant, the condition's going to come back. You know, if they're going to go and have, you know, a more fundamentally inflammatory style of diet, it's going to come back. You know, it just comes back to that conversation. Also, I think just to understand with SPF as well, we need to have SPF and to protect the skin. But if I think a lot of people then think they can put SPF on then go and lay out in the sun and it won't affect the pigmentation and it will. And that's another big thing. So basically any exposure to sun, even heat to a certain degree, will trigger pigmentation. So SPF is really important. But if you still put SPF on and then put your face in the sun, even with SPF, it can still trigger the pigmentation. Yes, it certainly does. I'm one of those people that when I go away, <laughs> I'm one of those people that classes myself with sunscreen mm-hmm. <laughs> and puts a hat on and really does stay out of the sun. And people say to me, 
why are you even going to the beach, Rose? Why, why are you even going? I said, well, I enjoy the environment of it, but I'm not prepared to put my skin out in the sun because I've worked so hard to reduce the pigmentation in my skin. And also from an aging perspective as well, why would I want to do that? Hmm. I must admit, now I'm sort of, you know, getting more aging. <laughs> um, I'm very aware of that. I literally, I mean, I don't really sit out in the sun, but then I get low vitamin D, so then I go and stick my legs out or something like that. But I make a point of covering my face, a, a hat, but then I'll often just put a towel over my head and people probably just think, oh, my God, she's nuts. But I'm the same. Yeah. I don't want the pigment on my face now because it it's going to make me look even older. So I just don't want the brown spots coming up. And same with the, the chest area as well. Yeah. I'm very conscious of that too. And I've seen people that have really gone out in the sun, you know, my... I come from the UK where people fry themselves for two weeks in, you know, Spain, you know, once, twice a year. And that does a lot of damage as well. So even though I grew up in the UK, I still had those summer holidays and we still were literally frying ourselves in the sun. And then we had the sunbeds as well. So this is going to catch up with me at some point. But now I'm extra cautious of making sure that I've got SPF daily. I make sure if I out in the sun I'm covered my face because I know that the pigment even though I've got the SPF on the pigment will come back and I've worked very hard to get rid of certain pigmentation as well like melasma type pigmentation that I know if I put my face in the sun it will all come out and I don't think people realize that even excessive heat um, can do it as well so that's something to be aware of even as we've said you know stress lifestyle just being adrenally exhausted that can affect pigmentation as well and sometimes that melasma can be a sign of literally adrenal exhaustion when people have gone past the stage of being stressed to the point where the adrenals just aren't actually producing enough cortisol for instance and then that actually then stimulates the melanin stimulating hormone even more so it's actually quite interesting that pigment isn't just because of um, sun exposure. There can be a lot lot of other causes from it. I also think, again, be aware that recreational drugs, medications, smoking, all of these things can actually worsen pigmentation as well. So making it very clear if you're on medication, do not stop taking medication that's been prescribed by a medical practitioner. But if you've noticed the pigment come up whilst taking that medication, it may be linked and you may want to speak to your GP about it. Agreed. Um, and also, you know, think about it. Tanning is the other skin cells in crisis, mm-hmm. right? And remember how much cumulative sun exposure can lead to um, a malignant melanocyte leading to melanoma and skin cancer. So it's just really being aware. Just because you have a sunscreen on, it does not give you permission to stay out in the sun all day. You literally are not protected all day, even with a sunscreen. You physically have to pull yourself out of the sun to protect yourself. So not just from a pigmentary point of view, but also from skin cancer, you know. And also, we live in Australia. Yeah, and also with SPF, and we'll probably do a whole separate one on that, most people don't apply enough SPF to have the SPF rating, right? So what I'm saying is we don't apply it thick enough to have that SPF 50 protection. We'll probably put it on too thin or too patchy. So making sure we use enough of that SPF is really important, as is reapplication. 
And most of us don't. We just put a little bit, rub it on and think, oh, that, that will do. And, I mean, it's helping to a certain degree, but the the amount of SPF that actually gets tested to give that SPF factor is actually quite a thick layer and most of us don't use anywhere near enough. And it makes us look white and we don't want to look white when we go to the beach. We want to look good. <laughs> so I think that's another reason why it puts people off applying it as well. And that's why I tend to go for the chemical SPF again <laughs> for that reason so that you apply enough and that's we'll need to do a whole separate one on, on that because ultimately... I'm a big believer if you find an SPF that works for you, that's a good SPF. You know, there's so much misinformation about SPFs out there. If you find one that works, doesn't make you look like a ghost, keep using it. <laughs> yeah, it makes you look white. And then when you have a photograph, you literally have a white face. <laughs> I know, exactly. Um, actually, I used one yesterday and Dave said, you're looking really peaky. I think, you know, you're looking a bit under the weather. You're using, you're looking a bit peaky. I said, I'm actually fine, but it's the SPF that I used. It gave me a white cast because I'm trying all these different <laughs> SPFs out at the moment. I've got all sorts. And I said, actually, it's the SPF because it made me look a bit ghostly. And he actually said, oh, you're a bit off, off colour today. I said, no, it's just my SPF. <laughs> I know, I, it's, it's a good look, isn't it? <laughs> I know. I'll just keep that one for the body in future. I won't use it on my face. So I think the takeaways from Heroes really are then um, – to be able to best manage pigmentation, first of all, we need to understand what is the cause of that pigmentation. So try and work out what is actually causing that pigmentation. We then need to also think about lifestyle factors, managing stress, um, having that general anti-inflammatory Mediterranean style plant-rich diet. So making sure we're getting in enough of those polyphenols and antioxidants, fresh fruits and vegetables. Um, and that holistic approach is best. So it's diet, looking at if there are any supplements that will contribute or help to support the healthy diet, um, looking at which treatment will be best. Be very careful of the practitioner that you choose. I'm a big believer in that because I have seen horrors with laser and I've seen horrors with peels as well when people have just not really known what they're doing and caused terrible burns and things like that and making sure that you use the right topicals to help manage the pigmentation because there are some great products out there like your um, vitamin A type products we've already spoken about in previous episode. We're talking about different um, topicals that work as tyrosinase inhibitors, basically helping slow melanin production. Um, and, of course, your SPF daily, whether that be whatever type of SPF, whether you like a physical or a chemical, whatever you prefer, as long as you're getting that that daily protection and avoid direct sun exposure to the pigmented areas because that will automatically bring the pigment back. And I think just be wary of the self-tan. You know, if you love your self-tan and you're going for a self-tan once a week, try not to put it on your face because that will grab and make the pigment look worse as well. Lots of really good takeaways. I love this topic. Love treating pigment. Good talking to you, Fiona. Always great talking to you, Rose. <laughs>